Welcome to the First Time Facilitator Podcast. Whether you're a first-time facilitator or a seasoned pro, listen in for tips and tricks to make a bigger impact at the next workshop you deliver. And now, your host, Leanne Hughes. And welcome to the show. I'm your host, Leanne Hughes, and I'm here to help you create unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. Yes, I'm back. I've just been so inspired. I've been traveling around the world, actually, over the last month, and I wanted to just check in and uh, provide some tips, things that I've learned, and some reflections as well. This is a pop-up podcast episode. Um, As you know, the regular cadence of First Time Facilitator stopped around episode 200. However, I will be ramping it back up as I release my first and new book, The Two-Hour Workshop Blueprint in June. So if you're subscribed to the podcast, you'll get updates when you see those episodes coming down. Like You should be getting a notification to your phone. If you're not, just hit subscribe in your podcast player of choice, then you'll get notified. Um, Otherwise, just jump on the email list, leannehughes.com forward slash subscribe. So you can find out when the regular cadence of episodes and who's coming up and all the exciting topics that will be released in the lead up to this book coming out. Just on the book as well, it's uh, I have had a fantastic time with it. So what I've done is something a bit kind of counterintuitive in that I've released a very early edition of the book. It's almost type kind of embarrassing, the version I've released, but I've wanted to do that because i believe in co-creation. That's why I have this podcast is the power of groups. And the most amazing thing has happened that in the last month, I've had over 500 comments on the book. So can you imagine like how much better, more impactful, more relevant, how much easier it will be to read? My job now is to go through that feedback and make updates to make it better for a June release. So if you want to be part of that, an early reader team, just head on over to bookhelp.leannehughes.com and I'll throw the links into the show notes for this one. So thank you so much for listening. I thought I'd do a solo episode based on some of the things I've been up to recently. Last week, I was in Malaysia and I was chairing a two-day conference there. So I was was brought in to run a session on uh, corporate strategy and how to sell your strategy. But I also got invited to then host, be the chairperson for the two days. So I want to share some of the insights I learned for that. I also was at Andy's Talent Management and Development Think Tank Conference in California. I met just so many incredible people. So if you're one of those new people that I met, hello, thanks for joining us on the show. Um, and so I'm sure I've got some, uh, like that was like three weeks ago now. So it seems like this really distant memory. So I'll try to capture some insights from that as well on this. And I've also had a couple of like great people just in my orbit recently. So shout out to Adina. She's asked some great questions around facilitating an in-person event. And also Christine, who was hosting a two-day virtual event. So she'll be doing a similar thing as to what I was doing in Malaysia, but she'll be doing it virtually. And the good news is if you're a facilitator, if you're running events, if you're at the front of a room, you often get asked to do things things like uh, that force you to switch your modality. So yes, very used to running workshops. And then you're like, okay, what do I do when I host these two-day events? Like how do I bring in some of the philosophies I talk about in terms of workshops into the context of a host for a two-day event? So I want to talk about the the role of a chairperson, what I think the role is about. And this is what I was thinking when I was stepping into the role in Malaysia last week. Number one, and I know I joke about this in my book about like, I'm just... Honestly, if I had values for my own business, the number one would be punctuality. I just love things being on time. And so as one of the roles of chairperson, I do believe it. One of your key roles, it's a boring one, but it's true. You've got to keep it on time. You've got to keep the pace running. Like it runs to a format you've got. We had like about, you know, 80 or 90 people in the room. Everyone's got schedules and things like that. And I think you can build up trust by keeping things on time. I also thought my role of chair was to manage the energy in the room. 
keeping in mind things like, you know, the post-lunch crash and Honestly, managing the energy is very interesting one as a chair because you don't have much control, right? So in the conference last week, there were 45 to 50 minute segments. So I'll just hand over, then that person would lead it, right? For 50 minutes, they might do most of the sessions last week were very much lecture expert style. So talking at the audience. So when I came up, I, I felt like I had to you know, maybe incorporate some more interaction and things like that to keep the energy sort of moving and build that contrast in. I also think the role of a chairperson is to get the best out of the people that are presenting as well as the people that are attending. I always say that, you know, every, every moment is a once in a lifetime opportunity. We tend to save that phrase once in a lifetime for like uh, watershed moments in our life. Like, oh, the time I went to Disneyland is a once in a lifetime opportunity. But if you think about it, every moment we have is a once in a lifetime. And particularly when you have that number of people like in t- together, you'll never recreate that again. So that is once in a lifetime. So how do you get the best out of that situation, that moment as well? And I think the final point is for a chairperson, and these are, these are my four, I'd love to hear if you've got any new ones or edits or tweaks or you change something out. I think it's about being a bit like a spider and forming a web over the two days. And so I really focus on connecting content between all the different speakers and sections where I can and even on the last day I was connecting like a keynote message from day one and just like just kept embedding it through the introductions and just finding the segues to reinforce what was happening so I saw myself as a bit of a spider (laughs) forming that web um, as well and I like that challenge and it forces me to actually like listen and pay attention to what people are saying and saying okay what is what are the linkages here so if you think about it it's like you're uh, as a chairperson is you're creating a mind map for the people in the session. And I think that's where people like, um, I've got a friend Jade and she does like visual scribing. My friend Melanie Lloyd does it too. There's a value of having someone like their live is to do that as well. All right. So let's talk through some reflections. So back to the on time thing. Um, one of my pet peeves is people finishing like, like when you're in a session, it goes from say 4.30 to 5.15 finish at 5.15. And if you can finish a minute before, you get bonus points. I actually write about that in my book because it's really about building trust with the audience. And also the second that you let one speaker go over for a minute or two, you're basically giving permission for every speaker to do the same thing. So you really have to cut it. Uh, And that's really hard. But at the same time, like speakers have signed up for a 40, 50 minute session, right? So they should be prepared. What I tended to notice was a lot of speakers had way too much content and they would sort of build up to it. So within 30 minutes, they've built up to the point and they're, they're making these good points and you have to cut them off. It's like, oh. So what I suggest is less, if you're a speaker, is like just have less, less like cut out what you can. Less is more. I was actually quite lucky because I didn't have to be, while I'm uh, really big on time, I didn't have to be the timekeeper. So this event in Malaysia was run through a corporate training organization and Myra was the conference producer. So her role is kind of like good cop, bad cop. And I was the good cop and she was the bad cop. Her role was five minutes prior to anyone, the end of someone's speech, she would jump on and say, excuse me, five minutes left. So she would bring that warning in. Then when it got closer, like when the five minutes was up, I stood up. So that body language was signaling to that person that, hey, like it's time to wrap it up. And that was a strong enough signal, so I didn't really need to do anything else. Like, it was wrapped up. And on the second day, what I was discovering is that, like, on the first day, people were very good at coming back on time. But as I started to get to know more people, 
they were really enjoying the networking and like the morning tea and the breaks. And actually I was a bit looser with timing on the second day, but that I was lucky because the agenda had sort of buffered in some extra time on day two. So I was a bit loose with that. The other thing that you can do if you don't want to, um, and this is kind of like the Oscars technique, is like use music to help. So when during a break you might blast some music and then when you turn the music off, people notice that, oh, the music's off and it's kind of like a subtle signal to jump in. I mean, you, you can reverse that. So I've been in other conferences where there hasn't been any music during the break, but then they play a song to prime people to come back to the room. The other thing, actually one of the speakers, uh, Terence Quick, shout out to him. He, When he started, he actually put a stopwatch on his watch for 40 minutes. And I just so appreciated that. And I feel like if I'm a speaker and I don't have anyone sort of timekeeping me, I might do that or I might set an alarm on my watch just so it goes off like with five minutes to go just to manage that and just so I don't have to look at my watch all the time. So that's timing. Let's talk about the environment um, and the room setup. As I said, this wasn't my event, so I didn't have control over what, what the environment was like. And the venue was at the Lower Meridian in Kuala Lumpur. It is such a gorgeous hotel. Like even the swimming pool has a slide. I went on the slide on the last day. It was phenomenal. <laughs> anyway, the, the service was great, but the room, like it was a gorgeous, very professional room, like beautiful chandeliers and high ceilings, a nice stage. It was good for the number of people. Like, you know how some rooms, sometimes you can be in a room where that's so big, but I think the room size was perfect. The thing I didn't like about it, two things. One, no natural light at all. So I could have told, you know, if no one had to watch, I could have said, oh, it's 11 o'clock at night and, and people could have believed me. Kind of like a casino, right? So no natural light coming in. And I think that's why it was good to have the breaks a bit longer because we went outside and there was like just beautiful light coming through these glass windows. And the other thing I didn't like about it was that it was set up sort of classroom style, but there were two people, like two people, and then a, a break and tables, then another two people. So, I mean, my preference definitely is for people to be sitting around in circles because you can do then lots of sort of fun breakout and discussion activities. But the annoying thing about that, the two person setup is some people were there with like colleagues from their company, other people were individuals and they just sort of sat by themselves. And I just... Uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, like half of the fun of coming to the, these events is meeting new people. And I'm sure they were doing that during the break, but how could I then, when I was doing sort of breakout and discuss, it's like turn around and it wasn't as easy as when people are sitting in a circle. Those were the two negative things. I think everything else was fantastic. What I loved about the venue is that for every table that they had, they had like uh, information on the venue's Wi-Fi password. <laughs> so it was there. Because that's like one of the most common questions you get is what is the password? So every table had like a copy of the Wi-Fi password and the catering was 11 out of 10. We had seafood, just fresh sushi. It was like a buffet, lunch buffet, but it was just, gosh, so amazing. So everyone felt really good. People went overboard, myself included. <laughs> Sorry. It did make that after lunch thing a little bit hard for that next speaker, but both after lunch speakers did a phenomenal job. So that was good. All right, so that is the environment that we're working with. Um, I love, like, as a chair, like, I was staying at the hotel, so we had a, an hour break for lunch. I had, like, a quick feed for 20 minutes, went up to the room just to recharge myself because, like, I am an extrovert, but I still need to be, like, away from people just to sort my ideas. So that was nice to sort of escape for 15 minutes and go back uh, to the venue. 
as I mentioned before, like our role as chairs, like lead that energy into set the tone really for the two days. What I do is like, I always look at the theme of what the conference is called. And I try to play on that. This conference was called the Corporate Strategy Conference, Reanalyzing, Redeveloping and Rethinking the Modern Corporate Strategy to Thrive in the New World. So as I looked at that, I was like, oh, there's some interesting words there. Reanalyze, redevelop and rethink. What do they have in common? They all start with the letter R-E. Something I did was like, I, I bring this up a, a bit. I refer to the TV show Sesame Street and Sesame Street is usually sponsored by a certain letter of the alphabet. So I brought that up and said, look, today's event is sponsored by two letters, the letters R-E. And so I spoke about those sort of themes. And then I added three, I think, important RE words. So I talked about relationships, the importance of meeting new people and learning from each other, the reframes of being open to having perspectives shifted, and also to reshare, basically setting the tone that the best way to learn something is to teach someone else. So what will you be resharing from this event? And also like how to share in terms of social media as well. I just like take inspiration from the title and think, what can I riff on or play on here? And what can I add to make this come to life for the people um, in the audience. The other thing I did was I, I opened with a story. So, I mean, this is talking about the modern approach to corporate strategy in this new normal. I spoke about like what I was feeling during COVID and, and how I wanted to go back to normal, but how there is no going back and therefore we need to look forward. The, the last thing I want to do, and that's something I share in my book, is like never start a workshop with housekeeping. Like I wasn't going to go up there and say, hi, my name is Leanne Hughes. The fire exits are here. The coffee is here. Don't do that. You can incorporate that in, but start with, I suggest maybe problem solution mode. So like open up the problem. And this is something I learned from StoryBrand with Don Miller. Start with a problem, uh, ramp it up, and then talk about how the conference will be the solution, right? Going back to the conference in Sonoma, California, I've got to give a shout out to Tim, Mr. Meaningful Work. I love the way that he opened up the event. I think there were over 100 people. So we split the group into four different sections, like one, two, three, four. And you got group one to yell out get. He got group two to yell out this. He got group three to yell out party. And he had group four yell out started. Then he'd actually signal to each group get this party started. Everyone would like, so we're shouting out words, but it forms a sentence. It was such a cool way to start it off and really sent a nice sort of fun tone. So this is what I mean by like, you know, he set the tone that way and that's the way it ended up being. So yeah, shout out. And um, it's something that I'm going to add to my repertoire of opening. So thank you so much, Tim. In terms of visuals with this conference as you know I was a chair there were oh gosh I don't know how many speakers probably about 10 different speakers so Myra was responsible she got all their slides and she had it all set up in the back end um the participants all had a QR code and they could download all the slides as well which was really great and then we, when we had breaks we had like a like a placeholder slide for breaks I think on the second day when we had a break for lunch there was a slide with a QR code to provide feedback. So that's a really good idea as well, just to have that going on in the background as opposed to waiting to the end of the day to get feedback is like, how do you get feedback in your session? And again, there's something I mentioned in my book is that it's really hard. We think, oh yeah, we'll get feedback. You know, we'll send everyone a feedback form afterwards, but the chances of getting feedback after the session are very low compared to getting people as a captive audience in the moment. We also had, when I ran the panels, we had a placeholder slide for the title of the panel and then moderated by Leanne Hughes, just 
in the background. All right. So over the two days, I ran three panel events where I had three panelists on stage and I was moderating for 45 minutes for each one. So it's kind of like I see this as hosting a group podcast episode, but also relates to, I did a, an article when Clubhouse came out around, around how do you moderate audio only rooms? And I think if you can moderate audio only rooms, like running a panel is actually, it, it's a lot easier because you get the, the verbals, right? Of like how people are thinking, how they're sitting, if they're getting excited about a certain topic. I want to share a couple of hacks um, that I did. So one was I used, I did use chat GPT. So as you know, or maybe you don't know, I'll put a link to it in to the show notes. It's a uh, artificial intelligence tool and it's like a chat bot. So you can ask it questions and it responds. I used it in a couple of fun ways. The first thing was, I mean, I was in California, then I was in Brisbane, kind of jet lagged. Then I ran a strategy session. I was, I've been quite busy in between getting to Malaysia. So I asked Gracie, who helps me out from time to time with tasks, like I got her to go onto LinkedIn and research every speaker, get as much information about them as she could. I had a few key questions in there, like what's been their latest tweet, share a recent post they did on LinkedIn, get their bio, just paste it into this Google Doc. She did that. Then I went to chat GPT and I could have got her to do this, but I didn't really think about it until I was in Malaysia. <laughs> I said, so she, you know, basically for one speaker would have had like 800 words of a mix of different things. So I went into chat GPT and I said, can you write, or can you summarize this in four sentences? I said, really to cut it back. And then I looked at that. I then edited it, used my language, reviewed the 800 words, see if there's anything else I wanted to pop in. And that's how I created the intro for each speaker. The other way that I used ChatGPT was each of these conferences had a theme, right? Uh, let's open it up here. So one of the themes was identify arising trends and chances at the right time. So is there a pattern for disruption and breakthrough? Um, how do you distinguish between short-lived fads and long-term trends, etc.? And so I threw that topic into ChatGPT and I said, look, I'm hosting this. It's related to corporate strategy. Can you give me 20 questions related to this topic? And so ChatGPT gave me like a brain dump. Then I sorted through those and like some of them are good. Some of them are like average. Some of them I don't find interesting. And I thought, what would be most interesting for, for, for me and the audience? And I culled it back. And then I sent like a list of say five questions to the panelists. Just we used a WhatsApp group. And I said, look, if you want, um, you can add your own prompts here. But they were pretty happy with those. And I said to them, look, this won't be scripted. These are just some things to think about. I'll read you out the message I sent to the panelists beforehand. I wrote, hey, all, here are some draft questions for the panel. I think the best panels happen when panelists have different opinions rather than agreeing on every point. This creates great dialogue. I'll aim to balance hearing from all of you, but I may not need a response from all three of you for every question. If you are particularly enthusiastic about answering a certain question, let me know. I might also follow up with you to clarify points or also ask unscripted questions to keep things moving along and engaging. Then I threw down the group questions and I wrote, like, please advise if there are any other questions you'd like to answer or topics to focus on. That's how I did it. That's all. Think about it. Like these panelists are experts. So I just need a few sort of prompts in terms of what you want. And I guess the role as chair is to really, uh, back to that being that spider, is to segue where you can linking different points, paying attention and seeing, right, what what part here of their answer will link to the next question or what is my natural curiosity saying? Is it saying to find out more about something? One of the panellists, Jesse Bath, was talking about how he worked with a company in the Middle East around creating an innovation culture and in 12 months they turned it around, right? So that's what he said. So 
I'm naturally thinking, well, how the heck do you do that? But I just ask the question, right? So if you think about it, I, I, I just think about like you're having coffee with these people. What would you naturally ask next as opposed to having to be so wedded to what is in the script? I just feel like I've got these, <laughs> I've got someone sitting on my shoulder and saying, ask like, go there, go there, go there, go there. And so I just follow that. I just follow my natural curiosity. And I think that's probably the best advice um, is to have the courage to do that and don't be so tied in and locked down because most likely people want to jump in. Now, on that first day, I would turn, like I'd pause every, like I think I paused twice during the panel. I turned to the audience and said, hey, any questions from the group? And, and no one actually spoke up. No surprises there. A group of about 90 people, they don't know each other. It's a very formal environment. So on day two, I brought in Slido. And oh my goodness, that turned things around for the better. We kicked off with two panels on day two. We had Slido, so I did a few warm-up questions. By the way, if you don't know what Slido is, it's an interactive polling tool. On the first day, people jumped in. I got them to answer like three questions. What's one thing you learned yesterday? And uh, got them used to using the tool. And then for the panel, I said, look, if you want to ask questions, just use the audience Q&A feature within it. And the best surprise was like, not surprise, I had my iPad in front of me, but I was reloading it. And people were asking super juicy questions like how to manage my manager and like all this stuff came up and they were upvoting it. And what I did was I'd, you know, ask questions to the audience and run polls. So on the second day we ran a panel on decision-making. One of the questions I asked the audience was, how do you tend to make your decisions? Do you consult with a colleague? Do you seek expert advice? Do you go with your gut? Right, so I gave them a few options. And ChatGPT helped me with that, actually, in terms of like, what are these multi-choice questions? And then as the poll results are coming through, I turned to a panelist and go, okay, like, we're kind of commentating. Like, oh, wow, what do you think of the responses here? We've got like, over 50% of people said this. What do you think? And that was really fun as well, as well as then like throwing, like having these questions that we could go to. So for really, for the panel, the first maybe three questions on the second day were from me. Then we had a poll and then for the remaining 20 minutes, it was all audience Q&A. It was such a great turnaround from day one in terms of the engagement. I can't recommend Slido enough. I love their work and it really did bring the energy. And plus it's great as well in terms of getting insight in terms of what people are thinking, right? Then you can really tailor your content to that as well. So that's a bit of a high level overview with some detail, of course, in terms of running that panel. Voice, 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 voice. We had to use microphones and I thank goodness these were handheld microphones so lapel was good but also handheld the best thing was these weren't behind you know we didn't have to stand behind a lectern to use the microphone I'm fairly tall so I didn't really have to use the stage either so I was just very mobile and I really enjoyed being mobile and doing that and not being stuck to the one place try not to stand behind the lectern use your body language move around be mobile if you can. Whenever I travel for workshops, I always um, pack my Tibetan bell. That just helps to, like, if you've got a lot of talkative people, you just hit these two chimes and it's a beautiful tone. Thanks to MBS, Michael Bungay-Stenia for that idea. And Jenny Blake, she brought hers to Paris and it's just a beautiful sound and it really does silence people as well. So I always pack that. And then also my blue painter's tape. If you want to split the group, you can use that. So those are really helpful more so in California when I was running my breakout session on how to get people to show up to your workshops without telling them it's mandatory. So I did a few like lineup activities and I did like a two by two where I split the room and I used it again on day three when we're doing the two hour workshop blueprint masterclass. 
these are really great ways to add. Like they're very portable and, and yeah, just very valuable. Like I don't leave home for workshops without painter's tape or my bell. I, I always talk about contrast. You will have heard this many times. I talk about it in my book as well. But every speaker in Malaysia was using slides. And so the one way to add contrast is to actually do something di different, which is to draw on a flip chart. Contrast can be in the way that you deliver, but it's also within the, I guess, the rhythm and cadence of the event that you're at. Like how do you bring in that unpredictability, something a bit different that causes people to pay attention? One final thing, uh, I mean, I could go on and on about all the different tips and stuff like that, but I don't want to overwhelm you with all the ideas. <laughs> One thing I, I was very proud of that I did was as I was about to fly into Kuala Lumpur on Sunday, I was like, gosh, I'm flying all this way. Wouldn't it be cool to have a lot of this stuff documented? So many times I'm speaking in front of great groups and I need footage or I need photos and I don't have that. I always just take a selfie before the workshop or after the workshop or during it, but it's not very good. And so what I did was, I don't know how, I was doing a bit of Googling and I wanted to Upwork and I thought, oh, I wonder if there's a Facebook community for videographers in Malaysia. And there actually is. So I joined that group and I posted a job ad saying, look, I'm speaking at this event. Um, I'll need you just for the first half day because I wanted to run like a, just to see what this person was like as opposed to committing them for two days. Put the ad out. I had about 20 people send me their amazing videography portfolios and photography work we actually set an hour aside on Monday this is the conference started on Tuesday on Monday I went through and sorted out and like and the caliber of work was phenomenal and I ended up finding find this amazing guy and best hire ever like just so was was at the event before I even showed up on Tuesday which is saying a lot because I love rocking up to things early and he captured just the most amazing footage I guess that's my call out to you if you are Getting an opportunity, and this, I think this uh, counts even if you're internal or external. Like I wish when I was running workshops internally, I did more, got more of the photos. Use that moment to do that. You never know when you might need to use it. It's always handy. I think all of us are, we know it's important to build our brand. Anyway, he was just such a good job that my friend Paul McCarthy, she was speaking. She got him to come in and film her speech. Jesse and Sunita, they also did their speeches and they got him. I, he was just so good that we all ended up using him. By the time this podcast episode is released, I'll have like one of the final edits for that. I'll throw it up onto my YouTube channel so you can see what he did and maybe get like, so this was happened so quickly. I was like, look, just get some footage of me and edit it together. As I keep getting more footage, then I might be able to create a new speaker reel. My last one is from 2019. It's quite old. I'm just gathering footage where I can so that I can, it can be edited because it's too late. Like when you need that speaker reel, it's kind of too late. You need to gather it as you continue along. There's so much more that I can share and maybe I'll stagger some learnings over the next few podcast episodes. But those are sort of some key insights from what I picked up most recently. Let me know what your thoughts are. Are you having to run an event? What would you do differently? What would you add to the list of things that I've shared before? And uh, a few calls to action. So one is join us in the Flipchart community. There's It's still so many ideas and questions being asked in that group. It's free. It's on Facebook. A link to it is in the show notes for this one. Jump in if you'd like to find out more about the book and its release and be part of the early launch crew. Just head on over to bookhelp.leannehughes.com and hit subscribe in your podcast player of choice to get updates when we get back to a regular cadence for this podcast in the lead up to the launch of the book, The Two-Hour Workshop Blueprint. All right. Thanks so much for listening and I'll chat to you soon.